0: Welcome to the Fatty Z Muskie Podcast. I'm Andy. Joining the phone, I have Todd. Hi, Todd. Hello.
1: I'm here ready to go.
0: You're here ready to go. We have Jared Sayers from the Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission. Hi, Jared. I'm happy to be back. Oh, yeah. It's great. You're one of our favorites, uh, audience favorites, I should say. Um, Vance, uh, last I knew was swimming with whales, if anyone's following (laughs) him. Yeah. Jared, do you follow Vance on, on Facebook or anything?
2: Yes, I, I do.
0: Okay, that's the last I knew that he was doing was uh, yeah. like a selfie stick or something, and I you could kind of see some <laughs> shadows, but you could hear some whale sounds. Yeah. So <laughs> It's uh, cool stuff. Is so that's, it Chicago? It is. I mean, all, yeah. all that weed yeah. killer really opened up the waters to where you can... Uh, <laughs>
1: they now have a migration of baleen whales up the uh, allegheny i heard that yeah
0: yeah there's been a huge <laughs> krill explosion that uh was being you know subdued by all those weeds um mm-hmm. none of this is accurate by any stretch but yeah. um <laughs> continuing on this show is brought to you by fatty z musky products uh gosh we're like a little over a week out from the musky max crazy busy over here it looks like just a complete disaster over here. I I just got everything everywhere. I'm getting rod holders ready, packaging up baits, doing all this stuff trying to keep inventory uh because it's like 8 days away, eh, 9 depending on how you're counting. Um but it's it's big time over here. So um you know, I'm fielding questions every day, taking orders every day, uh especially for the rod holders. So if you're looking to set up your boat A great time to do it would be next weekend if you're coming to the Muskie Max Plus down in Cannonsburg, Pennsylvania. That is a, you know, if you want to hands-on with this, and I'll take all the time in the world to explain everything and, uh, you know, give some advice. Um, It's just a great place to do it. But you can also do it through text, phone calls, emails, any of the social media outlets. I do it. This is my busy time, almost daily. I'm doing this stuff, sometimes multiple people in one day. But um, definitely, you know, give us a fair shake when it comes to setting up your boat. I'm more than willing to help there. And the baits, while we do have a lot of baits right now, they are not on the website. So if you're looking for an online order, please go to Musky Tackle Online or Team Rhino Outdoors for the baits. I'm not going to belabor this anymore. Todd, hit up Muddy Creek.
1: Yeah, Muddy Creek Fishing Guides. We will also be down at the same booth with the Fat AZ uh, Muskie Products. We're going to be down at the Muskie Max here in a couple weeks. Great place to come. Come talk to Vance and I. We'll uh, get you set up with a trip. We'll have the books open and uh, uh, we'll do our best to get you out there and get you on some fish. I've been getting some calls for fish in Pennsylvania in the early season. So uh, I'm going to spend a few, you know, hopefully a few weeks fishing around here before we head up to New York and uh, we had some great days last year so uh now's the time to get on the books for those pa i have my license to do climate tuning moraine we'll also hit up wherever else you want to hit up locally here in the western part of the state uh get a hold of us musky mask give us a call mcfishandguides.com and all the information's on there you can call or text the number on there and uh sooner the better if you're looking to go to chautauqua because the books are filling up you know i'm probably half probably half my season's already booked so uh you know when you're coming, get a hold of us.
0: Excellent. On those trips you are going to be using St. Croix rods, big supporter of this show, uh great rods. I use them, I love them, and um, you know, mostly made in America, how can you go wrong? And they have a rod for just about every style of fishing you could possibly imagine. So, give them a look, find a local retailer, pick one up and feel the difference.
1: We'll also be fishing out of Ranger Boats. Vic Sports Center is where we get our rangers. Over in Kent, Ohio, I was just over there for the open house last weekend. Spent a couple of days there. Talked to a lot of neat people. If you guys bought some boats. That's always nice. But uh, get hold of Vicks for any of the service you have on your engines. They're going to do service on Evan Rude's uh they, They're selling Starwells. They're selling Tritons. They're selling all the Ranger line aluminum and glass. And... Uh, they do a really good job. They get pretty busy, so, you know, call in, get your service lined up, and uh, they're fishermen, they know how to set up fishing boats. That's all I can say. There's a lot of boat dealers out there that are not that way. So get a hold of Ranger Boats.
0: And a big thanks to Baker Bates. He will also be at the Muskie Max, along with Vix. Vix um... will be
1: also, also, yes. Yep, I think he's taking three boats. They're going to have an eight. I'm not taking my 1880 this time. It's mm-hmm. getting old already. You know, Mine's already two, two years
0: old. Yeah, we don't want to see that. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, uh, Baker, he will be there. We also have the Chautauqua special on Sunday at the Muskie Max. Stop by the booth. We'll probably talk about it on next week's podcast a little bit more when we don't have such a high-profile guest that we're having him patiently wait while we – Yammer through this. <laughs> Take your time, guys. And uh, the muskie. Well, let's go do muskie zinc. Todd, hit up muskie
1: zinc. One more. Hey, there's someone else you can talk to. Come down to the muskie max. Three Rivers chapter has a booth set up there. That's when I'm going to re-sign up. I always do it to the show. Uh, membership, as my daughter likes to turn a fish or two in. Uh, that when she catches one to the uh, annual release. Uh, tournament thing they have, and that's uh, all it's always neat fun for the family to get involved in that. Muskies Inc. chapters are going to do what how much you can put into them. You know, our chapter getting more and more active. You know, a lot of these chapters go in spells. You know, you get a real active president, it's not always easy to get somebody that has the time to do it. Uh, you know, we had a huge following. We had a huge membership. And, you know, it went down to sort of an average. Now it seems to be on the rebuild. You know, I know they're, I think they're still going to look for a new president now. Joel's stepping down. But a lot of new guys getting into it that are getting involved, doing stuff on social media there. But, uh, you know, the chapters are very, very important if you're into muskie fishing to get involved in your local muskie, Inc. chapter. Uh, they're doing a lot. You know, I know we do a lot to raise minnows for the Minnow Fund. We have some fundraisers we're going to be doing. Uh, through Fat AZ Muskie Products and Muddy Creek. Uh, Vance and I painted some lures, and we had some other guys do some stuff with lures where we're making a, uh, a donation to Three uh, Rivers, which is going to in turn be heading over to uh, the Fish Commission and Mr. Jared Sayers.
0: That's right. So let's wrap up the Muskie Max. As Todd already alluded, we have some... Vance Customs, VK. That's what VK stands for. It's not his last name. It's K for customs. Not spelt with a C that makes my skin crawl. Um, However, I do need to say something. There has been a a fatality on one of Vance's customs. He painted up six, and in the process of getting assembled, one hit the ground and put a chip in the nose. So we have five and a blem, but have no fear. I had Todd up here last week. And he painted seven that are going to be coming down to the Muskie Max Plus. That one to replace Vance's, and six of his own. Todd did a little bit different pattern. We'll talk about it more next week. But we are going to have a dozen, <laughs> dozen baits between Vance and Todd. Um, you know that we're going to then donate some of the proceeds to the Minnow Fund. And as Todd already talked, we had Fred Holder. He did a mud puppy rendition of of two of his baits and he put that up for a uh not an auction what do you call that a raffle and raffle, yeah. a raffle and brought in a boatload of money so i'm going to be walking over to Joel with two separate checks in my hand uh that are going to be going essentially actually to pretty much Jared i think this would be a great time mm-hmm. to to transition over. By the way, go to the Muskie Max. It's next weekend, March 7th and 8th. Jared,
1: Jared, what are you going to do with all your money? Put it in your pocket, go out to eat with your wife? We're going
0: to make some
2: happy muskies.
1: (laughs) Someone's going
0: out to eat. Um, (laughs) So, okay, Jared, uh, just to kind of go along with this, because this is a great, great transition at this point. So, I'm going to walk over with two enormous checks to Three Rivers Muskies, Inc., (laughs) and I'm going to give them to Joel, and they're for the Minnow Fund. Mm -hmm. Do you personally, or like your department, or how how does that money get from Muskies Inc. over to you guys, or is it like they buy something and it just delivered?
2: Yeah, usually what I do is um, I'll contact Joel, or whoever the new president is at the time. Um, When it's the best time to feed the Muskies, that they're going to get the most benefit out of the money. Um, I try to I'll use hatchery money to get the muskies through the winter, you know, and I'll use hatchery money when the, the water's a little colder, but when the water starts warming up, um, that's when I start hitting up the clubs and if they got money available, it's the peak time that these muskies are going to put on a hundred percent of whatever weight we feed them in minnows, they're going to put on a hundred percent of that. Um, it's a one-to-one feed conversion. Um, so usually what I do is I'll call Joel and say, hey, it's time for minnows. And he'll tell me what, what amount he's thinking, what what's in the fund. And I'll actually call and order the minnows from uh, the Harry Saul Minnow Farm in Arkansas. And uh, I I will cover the shipping on all those so that all that money goes directly into minnows. And then they'll actually, they'll ship them straight to the hatchery. We'll put them directly into the raceway with the muskies. And then when they send me an invoice, I just send that right to the club and they just pay it directly. Very
1: nice.
0: Okay. So with all this money that we're going to be given out of these two checks, what happens if it's like three tanker loads of minnows? Are you going to cover all the shipping?
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
2: <laughs> Do you no, but really? The, the, the minnows That's have a good problem to have.
1: The minnows come all the way from, where did you say, Arkansas?
2: Arkansas. Yep.
1: Real
2: yeah you know buying minnows is kind of a, a risky business
1: yeah.
2: um there's there's minnow farms all over the country and what we really look at when we're when we're shopping around is their disease testing history so right. we have the, the harry saw minnow farm in arkansas that we've been working with for a long time we're very comfortable with their disease testing procedures um and so we want to be really confident that we're, when we're bringing something into the state, we're not introducing something to our fish that's going to get spread throughout the Pennsylvania waterways.
1: Sure. That's, that's, that's incredible. I never, I never thought of that. I never thought of uh, that you'd be, you know, that that's something to look into, but it absolutely is. You know?
2: Absolutely. You and know, we're, like we're pieces. extra cautious. We all, even though we're, we're per, very confident in their testing, we always um, double check the muskies before we send them out. So we we they all get tested they actually get tested twice this year before we end up stocking them so we we know they're completely disease free when we start stocking the lakes around the state
0: okay so kind of continuing into this a little bit deeper because i'm going to just keep going down rabbit holes here like mm-hmm. like what what would be a normal amount of poundage of minnows do you think that these fish would eat at peak time like
2: you know, I
0: obviously there's some number out
2: there that is more than they can gain in weight. You know what I mean? So right now, everything we fed them, I think we fed them around twenty-five to thirty thousand dollars worth of minnows last year, and they gained one-to-one rate, weight ratio on that. So, which is what we want to see. At some point, you know, we'll start feeding them minnows. Often enough that they won't be able to grow any faster. You know what I mean? So they'll be, it'll be moving through their digestive tract faster than the fish can convert it into weight gain. Yeah. Um, and then we'll see that. And then, and then we'll, that'll be good information to know for the future. Um, there'll be a, there'll be a middle ground where they're still gaining weight. We're still getting bigger musky, muskies, more bang for our buck. Um, but they're not gaining as much weight per minnow as they are now. You know what I mean, so we'll see that before we hit the hit the brick road brick wall where they just can't grow anymore but i don't I don't think we're there yet, and uh but when we do i'm I'm sure I'll be on here, and we can talk about it
0: yeah so what what you're looking at here kinda of, and you you answered it, and I didn't word it very well was at what point do these fish just become so obese and they can't eat anymore? That's a joke. Or like you're that one (laughs) lucky minnow that all the muskies are full and you're the last minnow around (laughs) and you're safe because none of them can eat you because they're so full. Um, Right. That's kind of what you're looking at, but it's kind of neat that right now you guys have not been able to feed them enough to where you feel that there's waste.
2: Exactly. Not yet. And you know, maybe we won't get there. Maybe it's a point where they, they seem to pace themselves pretty well. You know what I mean? Like they're not, they're not like trout, you know. If we did the same exact thing with trout, they would eat all the minnows in, that we put in there within the first 10 minutes. But then yeah. they would waste half of that. You know what I mean? It would just would go through their system. They'd only be able to absorb what they could absorb. They put on a little bit of fat, and it'd be over. And most of it would be wasted. The the muskies seem to pace themselves. You know, they'll eat a couple of minnows and then they're good for a while. And you know, we put. $5,000 worth of minnows into the raceways, it lasts a couple of weeks during the peak time. Okay, so so, yeah, so okay. as we get more money built up, we'll just have to, we'll we'll get to the point where we have minnows in there all the time. We're not running out and then we're just eating dry feed for a couple of weeks. And then we give them more minnows just to keep that good growth going right now. I'm trying to space it out so that, you know, I kind of picture it in my head like a curve. You know, so they we give them some minnows so they get the real peak growth going, and then we maintain it with the pellets. And then, as I picture it in my head, you know, it's a some of the nutrition's wearing off. Then we hammer them with the minnows again and get it back up, just to just kind of keep them keep that metabolism up if you will. You know,
1: that, yeah. that, that's that's interesting that they will actually. That, so, so they're 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 not just pounding them. I mean, I just yeah. worked a little bit with a local hatch with our local. Rod and Gun Club years ago, and I was there, and they had to the pace feeding like the brook trout. Some yeah. of them would eat and split their guts open. Right, like, they would gorge themselves till they killed themselves, and right. uh, that was really strange to be like these fish were that they're eating machines.
2: Right, when you think about
1: being the big predator, that's what they would do.
2: Yeah, exactly, and I, I, that's something I'm definitely very vigilant about. It's yeah. something I've worried about. Um, and I've never, we've never been in a position to feed them enough food to determine if that's a factor or not, you know, Mm -hmm. but so far I'm very impressed with their ability to pace themselves. You know, they, they seem more like a, a picky, fancy dog rather than your lab. That's just going to eat until he (laughs) pukes. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right.
0: (laughs) So last year, like you said, 25 to $30,000 in minnows. Right. About how many minnows is that or how many pounds of minnows, you know, kind of ballpark in this to
2: Yeah, so right now we're paying about seven dollars per pound of minnows delivered, and there's about a thousand minnows in a pound. So, you know, to make it easy, twenty one thousand is divided by seven dollars per pound would be three well Holy cow! It'd be like three thousand. <laughs> I'm talking on my. I'm talking on my calculator.
0: <laughs> That's right. Help me out. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, I, I wanted to make sure I followed this because I was. I was listening. I'll pull up my calculator. Okay, so you did seven dollars per pound, correct? Right. Okay, and you did twenty one, twenty one thousand. You said or twenty five
2: thousand. Right. Well, if you go with, because of the seven, it's going to be easy to make the, use the twenty one.
0: Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, you you know, know these... we did, so you're between three and four thousand pounds, right? Uh, so I divide
2: and, that by seven, and that's
0: right. So then you're going to have that. Then you're going to do a thousand minnows per pound, right? So oh, you, wow. you're doing like three to four million minnows,
2: right? That makes sense.
0: That's a lot that's of a freaking lot of minnows. minnows, and, and all of those. <laughs> it wasn't like didn't when they're light. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, but like when you go to scoop these fish up to like take them out to sea. There's not like a half a million minnows hidden somewhere, is there?
2: Nope. oh, absolutely not. They're, they don't they don't piece themselves that well. <laughs> they yeah. they do eat them up within a couple of weeks.
0: Okay, which wow. is
2: perfect, you know, because we want to we want to get that
0: weight gain boost. Okay, and then there is um. Okay, so how many fish approximately are in the tanks? How many muskies? We, right,
2: right now we have about eight thousand. Per raceway, and we have five raceways.
0: So, 40,000. Right. Divided by 40. I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, at, at this rate, if we just did an even distribution, these fish are eating between 75 and maybe 85 minnows each in their time right. spent with you. That seems about Right. Okay. Then, it's
2: funny how it breaks down; those huge numbers get smaller real quick, don't they? Yeah, you got a lot the same of mouths to thing happens when you. we when we figure out feed costs. You know, when I when I start figuring out how many bags of feed I bought per year and how many the huge amount of poundage they ate versus the amount of fish that are out there, it it always ends up that each muskie only ate like seventy five cents worth of food, even though we spent twenty four thousand dollars on pellets.
0: Yeah, that's crazy
2: it kind of blows my mind. You know, you just, you see all that money going out the door. And you, you assume they're eating a ton, but we're, we're raising a lot of fish. And that's what, that's what makes the program more efficient too. You know, some, there's some States that are spending three, $400,000 on minnows and they're only raising 10,000 muskies and they're, they're getting them close to the size we are. So we're really doing something special and I'm really excited about it. And, um, I'm sure we're going to get into this next, but, you know, we've only been stocking these yearlings for a couple of years now. So all the good results that we're hearing and the the happy musky anglers we're talking to out there, this is all still this is all still building off the big fall fingerlings we were getting those 10, 11 inch fish we were stocking for three or four years that were leading into this uh, yearling program. We started seeing some good results with those bigger fall fish, um, and that's what made us think yeah, we could
1: they're just starting to show themselves. I mean, this is just new. This is still new. (laughs) Right. Yeah.
0: And we're going to, we're going to hammer on this a lot more later in the show. I, I I have some, I have some notes and stuff, but before we change gears, I worked it out to be about 50 to 60 cents. Each muskies eating in minnows (laughs) about roughly, Mm -hmm. I mean, we're, we're dealing with round numbers on this, but uh, before we get too far out of whack, the, the main reason we, we, we got Jared on here is we wanted to talk about the, uh, voluntary muskie permit. Uh, can you give us a brief overview of the, of what the voluntary permits are and yeah. their aim and all that to catch everyone up who might not know?
2: Yeah. The muskie, these, these <laughs> voluntary permits are, it was something that was a long time in the making, you know, that everybody knows that the costs of raising fish are going up and the, number of license sales are going down. So the Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission as a whole hasn't been in kind of a, a money crunch for a while now, and nobody was really sure how to answer it. Um, the legislature's you know, not real excited about giving us a license increase because their constituents get upset. Um, and we really don't want to do a license increase either, because every time you increase the license costs, you lose license, you lose fishermen. However, and we explored a lot of other options like getting a little piece of the, you know, sales tax on fishing equipment. You know, that's what New York did. So people, a lot of times they compare us to New York when they start hearing us talk about a license increase. And they'll talk about how New York actually lowered their license prices well. The New York legislature actually gave New York some of their sales tax. You know, a small fraction of a percent of the sales tax on fishing and boating equipment would solve this problem forever. But, you know, trying to talk to legislatures into giving up that money is pretty difficult so yeah
1: and you, know, and sports well, and- you know you're you're dealing with such frugal people here it's just i mean really people that aren't i so I, I just stopped at subway with my daughter and one of her friends we went to a basketball game tonight and you know i spent 20 some dollars at subway it's the cost <laughs> of a license for the year that i could fish the whole entire state for the whole entire year you know right. and for what for 35, 30 some dollars, I could get my Erie stamp and permit, so
0: those right. people,
1: I've, I've run into people, we dealt with that up in New York, we're like, oh, they increased it from 45 to 70, I'm done fishing there, and my, I usually my response is, man, you must really not want to fish up there too much, I don't know. <laughs> But
2: yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, it blows I my do. mind too. I I said Post that for mind. years. When mm-hmm. you know, I want to I want to meet. I don't know a person. I want to meet somebody that's going to quit fishing over four bucks. You know, but yeah, I know that's what I mean. But yeah. I know they're out there. You know, statistically, we've shown yep. whenever we've raised the license prices in the past, we lose you know eight percent of our anglers. So I know it happens, and we're in the business of promoting fishing. So that's not what we want to do. But yeah. there comes a point where you know, inflation's going up, gas prices are going up, fish fees going up. It, we're, our hands are tied, and we have to ask for those license increases. But no, not to change the subject,
0: has, but real quick, how come? I mean, I know why because people like free, and they think they're getting a bargain. Those fish for free days—it is insane right? the amount of people going fishing for free. The people <laughs> to have- save a cost of a license. Right. I mean like I, I, don't I see it, <laughs> the same
2: thing up here around Lake Erie, you know, like you go down to Presque Isle, around Prescott Bay on those fish for free days and it is jam packed.
0: It's like the opener of trout. It's shoulder to shoulder. There's the the blue <laughs> army's great. out in full force on every lake. It's it's insane. Uh, but I, I like I I'm in the same boat you guys are in. I mean if the license went up to three hundred dollars a year, I'd still buy it. It wouldn't matter. Yeah, absolutely. To me. <laughs> I mean, and I'd still consider I it a bargain. $50,000
1: boat because I don't want to pitch? I mean, what are you going to
0: do? Right. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. Yeah. M- money crunch and. Yeah.
2: So in money crunch. So, you know, everybody was just throwing out crazy ideas and people started actually talking about, you know, the game commissions pheasant program. And what if we had, what if we had different pay, you know, mandatory permits for certain species, you know, and you know, I was asked, "What you know? What would happen if we had a, a a mandatory permit for muskies?" And you know, I said, "I don't know. What do you do with it? Is it a harvest tag? Does it? Do you have to have it to fish yeah. for them? Do you make it thirty dollars and hope know that all the dedicated muskie anglers are going to buy it, or do you make it two dollars?" And hope that everybody that thinks they might catch one and want to harvest it will buy one. You know, like, there's a lot of different issues there. All of them are bad images that we didn't want to portray to the public. You know what I mean? So we just kind of put, we kind of put that off. It was just, it was, it, it was an interesting conversation, but it was not, it's not what the Fish and Boat Commission's about, you know? So that, idea was kind of poo-pooed pretty early so that's another thing I want to reinforce that you know I see a lot of comments of people saying you know yeah it's voluntary now but it's just to get us hooked and then it's going to be mandatory it, it kind of went the other way you know we started talking about making it mandatory and then that's where it led into the voluntary permits and they said but we got a lot of good feedback while we were floating the idea of guys saying we love the sport I love my bass fishing I love my trout fishing I love my muskie fishing give us an option we'll throw money into it you know so that's where it came from. It was, it was the, the next best option to just see what happened after we decided the mandatory permits were not the way to go. So they made the voluntary permits and gave people the option to say, if you really like fishing for these specialized species and um, we can prove to you that we're going to use that money dedicated just to that program, um, maybe, it'll, maybe it'll help us out a little bit.
0: Okay, so there is not a bunch of top men sitting around a big boardroom smoking cigars laughing saying we're going to we're going to give it to you voluntarily now but you guys just wait we're going to then pull the pull the curtain back and it's going to be mandatory
2: i do not think so
0: okay not um, that you're aware so that, of
2: not that i'm aware of but like i said that was that was how the idea started and everybody was on board that that was a terrible idea so as far as I know, as far any conversations I've been involved in, nobody wants that to happen. Okay. Nobody's even thinking about it.
0: All right, I wanted to at least hit that one more time. So, right,
2: it's very important because I want to, I want to dispel a lot of the myths that are out there, you know. And I, you know, I, th- I think I said it on your guys' program. I've traveled around a lot of the muskie clubs talking, and I made it clear from the beginning. I don't care about the money. I just wanted the musky stamp, the musky permit to sell well. To support the program just from a a numbers it's like i'm just looking at it like everybody vote for your favorite program and i wanted the muskie program to show well you know so you know it didn't do as well as i was hoping i was a little disappointed for a little while but you know what it did pretty darn well you know we raised sixteen thousand dollars that the muskie program wouldn't have had if it wasn't for that permit and and that says a lot you know
1: yeah Okay. So, so now, now I'm
2: anxious. So the next step of this program is to really convince people, the next group of naysayers that said, you know, I would have done it if I was sure the money was going to go to the program. But I know how state government works. It'll get lost in the shuffle and it'll never end up going to where it's supposed to go. So that's why we're we're pushing social media right now to show everybody, be a complete open book and say, here's the number of license sales. Here's how much money it brought in. And here's the exact dollar for dollar amount, what we're going to do with that money and how it's going to benefit your, your, the fish you wanted it to.
0: Okay, so what? Like, let, let's do an overview. What are the permits that you can buy uh, You know, that are completely your option to buy, these voluntary permits? What are the ones in Pennsylvania?
2: Yeah. So there's four of them. Um, we all know about the muskie permit. Uh, the other ones are the voluntary habitat and waterways conservation permit, the voluntary bass permit, and the voluntary wild trout and enhanced waters permit.
0: Okay, so there's stinky trout. Stinky there's the trout. E- easy bass. <laughs> easy got, bass. So let's let's talk about that that habitat watersway one. What what is yeah. is that just like a general? We're going to improve stream access. Are we going to do cleanups <laughs> or?
2: Well, I'm glad I can actually answer that question now. That's what I, I've been kind of making fun of that permit all the year because I was getting I was mad at mad at my muskies. I'd look at my muskie angler sales every month and the habitat and conservation permit, whatever it was, was selling like hotcakes. And I'm like, I don't even know what that is. And people are buying it more than my muskie permit. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah.
2: (laughs) So it turns out that they're going to use that for um, just what it says, creating fishing habitat. So this first year, they're going to use about $11,000 of it. On Buffalo Creek, Buffalo Creek down in Mifflinburg, uh, in Union County, they're creating a children's and disabled persons fishing area. Um, it's about 2,200 foot section of um, of its disabled and children's fishing area. It's a total project cost of like thirty-five thousand dollars, so they're putting eleven thousand dollars towards that, and uh, and then they're also doing a, a section on the first fork of Cimarron Creek. We're gonna put another ten thousand dollars towards that. They're putting like four to six foot boulders and three, two, two and three boulder clumps, you know, in this trout stream to give some more habitat so the fish can hold behind and stuff. And these uh, keystone select waters.
0: Okay.
1: Okay, so it's, so it's mostly going into the streams.
0: Yeah, that one this is seems, for now, now it seems to be like going into the streams, right? Yep. 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 Ne- next year it might be something else. Right. Okay. Now. The which is different than
2: the DAS permit, well, we don't you know, need that, to talk about they that. They seem to be doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, doing <laughs> some pretty cool stuff, you know. And I think it might, it might have, you might have some benefits to the muskies too. You know, they're doing a huge project in Lake Arthur. Um, they're putting ten thousand dollars into Lake Arthur, and, and uh, DCNR is contributing another thirty thousand. They're going to put a hundred different fish habitat structures in there in two thousand twenty.
0: Are those those it's like just, pyramid? It's, it's, the, the, the square ones, the big cribs. Okay. Yep.
1: Is the state stalking bass? Is there anywhere that you guys are raising bass and stalking them?
2: Yeah, we are stalking bass, and um, okay. it's one of those things that's it's kind of taking a weird turn right now, so I don't have too much exciting to say about it, but that might be different in the future. Mm-hmm. So, the the idea with bass is, in our the Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission management plan for bass is that we do not stock. Bass to To improve fishing, and the reason for that is once they're established, it's more of a habitat issue. You know, okay. they they don't have any trouble reproducing on their own. If you have a population of adults in the lake, they're going to lay so many eggs and have so many young that getting the fish in there is not the problem. It's creating habitat for them to hide and getting them away from the predators. That's the problem. Um, so generally, you can do. Some habitat work to to improve that, um, but most lakes reach their carrying capacity for bass fairly quickly, and then area fisheries managers use creel limits on the on the panfish and things to to modify the size structure of the bass. So you can decide if you're going to go for a big, you know, a trophy bass lake and mm-hmm. put larger limits on, or you're going to if there's too many bass and you restrict your size limits on your pan fish so the bass have plenty of, you know they they adjust things that way to make sure there's enough forage for the bass so
0: so so the bass sizes can stuff. be the bass sizes correct. can be adjusted by by the size limits on the forage base correct not so much like a bass can be eight inches to keep versus 16 inches to keep
2: you know, there's some of that, but most, it, it seems to be regional. You know, I I was just talking to an area fisheries biologist the other day, and he's got a lake that'll be shoulder to shoulder on the opening day of bass, and the guys are harvesting them. They yeah. want them for dinner. You know, I've never yeah. seen people do that before, but he said it's un, unbelievable down there, and it's the that lake ends up being absolutely polluted with 12-inch bass, you know, and, and as soon as they hit 15 inches, they come out. Huh. So, <clears throat> so there so is it depends on it depends on the fishing the angling pressure it depends on so much stuff and that's where those um biologist reports you see online come in you know they do they do creel surveys and talk to the anglers then they do track netting surveys then they do electrofishing surveys to check the bass and then they they read the scales all winter to see you know how the fish are growing to see if an eight fit because in some waters, an eight-inch crappie might be three years old, and another water body, an eight-inch crappie might be six years old. You know, and you know there's stunted in there. You need more predators in that water. You know, and they they play that game back and forth, deciding if there's too much forage or not enough forage, or too many predators or not enough predators. Hmm.
1: Yeah, where I was sort of thinking about that and, and getting you going on that was, you know, are they stalking? So the bass, if they're going to stalk yeah. the bass, Let's say it's a lake that they just refilled. We just did Glade yep. Glen Lake here by my house. They refilled that lake. That's a lake they might stock some bass in.
2: Correct. Not, that's not so that's where some we're some really farm. big into doing it right now. We're we're, we're doing <laughs> a lot of that at Lyonsville, and we're doing some of it over at the Pleasant Mount Hatchery over by Scranton. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we're when a lake is recently being filled, the first year we put forward fish, fish in there um, minnows, shiners, golden shiners. We raise at Lyonsville, stocking these new impoundments, and then we let them kind of take off for most of the summer and then towards the end of the year we'll put bass in there so they the bass have a chance before there's anything else around to kind of get that forage base in yeah. balance. Yeah. And then the following year we'll stock bass again with bluegills. And that way the bass and the bluegills can find their own little balance. And then the year after that's when the catfish, walleyes and muskies and things will start going in. So, so, so we do stock bass, you
1: know a lot of the bass permit money is going to go to improve just fisheries in general. If they're putting yeah. cribs in. That's Habitat. In. That's the key. That's Habitat, what,
2: yeah. The bass no. can reproduce well on their own if you no. didn't have a to do it. So that's, what the, that's going to be the key.
0: All right. So then let's switch it over to the muskie permit. What are the funds right now going to be uh, divided up on?
2: So we raised $16,000. Um, we talked about a ton of different ideas, but – I was adamant that I wanted to make, we, you know, as an agency, wanted to make sure that it was absolutely crystal clear to all the anglers that the money is directly being used for the muskies. So the way we decided to split it up was we're going to use $5,000 for extra minnows for this year. So I'll make sure I spend the same amount we always have for minnows out of the hatchery budget. We'll have all the additional money from the the minnow funds, and then we'll – We'll put another $5,000 out of this fund on top of that. So we should be having some really nice fat muskies this year. And then the, the $11,000 that's left over on that, we're going to put towards purchasing an inline water heater for the Lionsville Hatchery. Um, I think I've talked to a bunch of people about this before, but right now when we heat water, um, when the muskies hatch, Usually, lake water temperatures are usually around 54 to 60 degrees. So we hatch them at about 65 degrees, and we want to quickly warm them up to about 70. 70 degrees seems to be that magic zone where we get their metabolism going, and they're willing to convert onto the dry food. Um, And then we'll keep them at that 70 degrees until they get about two inches long. And they start getting their immune system built up and then we'll start raising the water even warmer so we can start putting growth on them. The problem is right now we're heating that water through a heat exchanger that is also in the boiler we're using to do that is also connected to the building. So we're heating the building and the fish water at the same time with the same boiler and We have no separation there and we're also heating water for catfish there's a lot of demand for that hot water and anytime we make an adjustment or anytime the temperature outside drops it creates fluctuations in that water temperature and it creates us problems with the muskies so our long-term goal here is to have a complete system a separate system that'll heat water that's not tied to any other systems, not tied to any other fish It'll just heat water for the muskies and their water temperature will never change and it'll always be ideal. And that's going to, that's going to do a couple of things. It's going to one, keep them eating at their prime efficiency for the, for their whole lives instead of going up and down and up and down and us fighting with that. And because they're going to be feeding so well, and maximizing their growth we all it's also going to be more efficient so we won't need to take extra eggs because we know that's going to happen and we're going to lose some fish whenever the water cools down we know we're going to be at peak efficiency so we'll have to handle less brood fish out of climate tuning you know we know we try to handle as few as we can because we know there's might be a long-term cost for that uh, we try to do more good than we do harm but and we're very gentle with them, but we don't want to handle any more fish than we have to. So, if we can get more efficient with our techniques through things like an inline water heater that will keep our temperatures stable, that'll allow us to handle five less females next year. That's fantastic. So, there's benefits all around, and uh, I'm really excited about it.
0: And 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 is that eleven thousand going to cover? the entire cost or is this going to be one step and then we got to wait for more? Yeah, phones, it's or? kind of one
2: step. It, it, what's nice about it is it'll help right away. You know what I mean? So um, each, each water heater will do about 25 gallons a minute of 70 degree water nonstop. And that's what we need is that 70 degree water. So that'll get us through hatching. That'll get us through the feed conversion process. No problem. Cause they don't have, we only have three or four gallons a minute in these tanks. You don't, we don't want to, a whole lot of current when they're when they're just fry um so it'll, it'll be it'll help us be stable through the critical times um so the next stage will be and we're going to plumb this in such a way that uh in future years or if my hatchery budget has a little extra money in it i can take you know an extra ten thousand dollars buy another unit and it'll just plug right into the same system and now we got 50 gallons a minute on, on, at 70 degrees you know what i mean so um and at the end stage, I'd like to have four of them so we can have 100 gallons a minute of 70-degree water. That'll take us all the way through past 4th of July until we move the fish outside. So um, that's the end goal. But the, the first one is going to get us through the critical stages, and that's the most important part. So we're going to be able to keep the temperature stable through hatching and feed conversion. And that's the most important part, and that's so that's what we're going to tackle first.
0: Do you think that, like, <clears throat> year 2020s, you know, voluntary muskie permit money is going to go by a second heater? Or what do you think the, you know, what's your gut feeling? It might not be voted on or decided yet of like maybe next yeah. year.
2: Yeah, just gut feeling. Um, I would say that's probably a good bet. Um, just because our budgets are so tight right now. And um, we're also trying to, we're kind of, our hatcheries have kinda of gotten run down over the years, you know what I mean? So we're also doing a big push hatchery hatchery system wide to clean these places up, get some things fixed up that haven't been fixed up in a long time. Um just we want to be proud of what what we do and how the people see us. So um there's a big push on that right now. So there's not gonna be I don't foresee any extra money in any of the hatchery budgets coming for a while now. So I mean we're we're pinching pennies as it is. So and now we're going to try to scrape together any extras that we can to get some roofs fixed and some doors replaced and things like that. So um, I I don't foresee any possibility of purchasing extra heaters between now and the end of 2020. So I'd say that'd be probably a good bet. And I'm hoping, you know, that between shows like yours and us getting the message out there that, hey, the state wasn't kidding, that this money really is going to this program maybe it'll get really popular in a hurry because I know musky anglers are passionate and they're not afraid to spend money. You know what I mean? And I think once they're convinced that you know, I can buy this voluntary permit and my money's actually going to help something that I care about, it it might start selling, but really, really well, maybe we'll get the whole project done next year. You know, who knows?
0: Yeah. And, th- and there was, um, you know, like, like you were saying, like I bought, when we bought our license last year by we, me and my wife, my wife and I, like, We just bought the one year, the one year permit. Each of us, and Mm -hmm. you know, I don't know something to throw out there is like, or is there a spot? Because I just buy mine online. Like you can say, here is your voluntary permit. It's twelve bucks. If you want to donate anything extra, check the box you want it to go to and, and charge accordingly. You know, you might find that some of these people, I mean, and I would, I would probably be one of them. Like if I look at my, my total thing and it's like 56 bucks for all the license, I don't even know. I haven't bought my license yet, but let's just say it's 56 bucks. I, I personally would be like, you know what? Let me just round this up to an even number, 60 bucks, put $4 more towards the, you know, the muskies. Right. You know, something.
2: Yeah. That makes perfect sense to me. Um, but I think it's one of those things where we kind of feel like we're pushing our luck already with with the naysayers. I think everybody that's on board would love it, but we, we don't want to lose the people that are on the fence. You know what I mean? So we're trying to make this thing just friendly. You know, if if you want to contribute to your thing, here's the way to do it. We're not trying to be greedy. And I, I, I think if we do too much of that, the naysayers are going to think we're being greedy we don't want to lose those guys. We want to bring them on board. We want them to see where this is an avenue to contribute and we're using it for the right stuff.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know The the naysayers are never really going to be the ones that are going to pull the plows. I mean, that, I mean, <laughs> let's just be honest. If, if you're sitting there being neg- negative Nancy the whole time, you're not really, you know, you, you, you see all the flack you, you get from, from just posts on various musky pages or whatever. The, the people that are like belly aching the most, some of them don't even live in the state and it's, right. you know, it's, it's a joke. So I don't know. I mean, I just think it would be neat if there was an outlet to where, I mean, cause like for us, we're going to be donating, you know, a sizable amount of money to muskies Inc to buy these minnows. But right. you know, like with what you're just saying, you know, with, you know, there's a, there's you guys have to work within a budget and this budget right now is you need to do maintenance on buildings and, and, you know, keep the appearance looking nice. People don't want to walk into a hatchery and, like, man, this it's like the lights are, like, on a pool chain. They're swinging and, you know, a screen door that squeaks really bad.
1: Andy, Andy that happened to me. Remember, I mean, we did it um, real quick. Remember when we caught that lake trout this fall? Yes, that was tagged. Yeah, it was tagged and, uh, you know. Uh, We made some phone calls. You know, we didn't know what to do with it. It said, this fish is worth money, you know, and we kept it like (laughs) that. I ended up going to, you know, I met at some old, (laughs) I don't want to say where it was, but it was in Erie. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was a dilapidated old house. And even the guy, I didn't even know the guy was there. He like came down from upstairs in this old mansion house. and uh, Tell me he had a candle was- on one of
0: those old candle holders.
1: He's <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know if we're going to renew this. You know, it's going to cost $200,000 to renovate it. I think we're going to get out of this house. I mean, that's happened. I mean, that <laughs> it is happening around. Here, you know? That is
2: so funny. Cause I know exactly where you are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. Cause they wanted me to turn it. I was like, that place? <laughs> Someone's old haunted mansion. And, and you know, I went in and we we took the tag out on the kitchen table or on, on the countertop of a of a thing and we took the tag out. And he said, oh that came from Ohio, that's cool. And we turned it all in and I mean it was all neat. I was so it was fun to do and uh but yeah, it was uh no doubt that's that's happening. But you know, and, and the word is not out. I mean the word is not out there and this is hopefully you know, the podcasts and, and you know, just getting the word out to people that that money is gonna go where where it's where where it's uh you know, where it's supposed to go is gonna make a big deal. So I, I don't buy online. I still like stopping at the local bait shop and getting my license because it's a laminated piece of paper, you know. Right. Now, now we don't have to display it anymore all of a sudden. So it's not a big <laughs> deal. That just that finally happened. I was glad to see that because right. I told stories before of having like Eight licenses in my wallet when I was doing the Pro Musky Trail. You know, I I got my license for Wisconsin, Minnesota, Illinois, New York, Pennsylvania, Canada, Ohio, and Kentucky. And my PA one is on the wrong hat, so I'm glad (laughs) they finally, you know. And I didn't have my PA license before because I never thought I was like I'm so used to carrying them, but uh, you know. But my local place. When I went in and I said, yeah, I want, he's, he's, you know, the guy, they, he always asked, do you want any permits? He said, yeah, I want the musky permit. He's like, huh. And he did it. And he said, I said, you sell many of them. He said, I sold one last year. I said, really? He said, yeah, to you.
0: <laughs>
1: wow. You know, so this place, they're not promoting it at all. There's no one. I said, you sell any of them. He said, no, we didn't. No one buys them. You know, these people come in by their license and go, that's just a little local place by my house. But, uh, uh, Need to get the word out. Hopefully, we can start doing that more.
2: Yeah. And that's, that's part of the problem is, you know, online, when you buy your license, there's a little, you know, pop-up box that comes up, and you have to click out of it to, to not purchase them. But I think there's a lot of people that buy their licenses in person still. And I was talking to a muskie angler, an older gentleman. He, he fishes leather Lake religiously. He catches well over 100 fish per year. Um, and he called me and said he just watched one of my YouTube videos and was wanted to know about this muskie permit things he'd never heard of it. I'm like, how is that possible? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh-huh. But I, I'm sure it's, it's probably the predominant
1: yeah
2: thing yeah. out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there's no way, you know, would we sell 1,500 licenses or voluntary permits last year? How many people, you know, fish for muskies in the state of Pennsylvania? I don't even know how to guess. Yeah, But it's a lot more than 1,500. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I think, I think, I think that was a good, that's a good number. I mean, if you even, you know, got half as many as the bass permits and the other ones. And uh, I don't know if we did, I don't know if you did, but uh, if, if you did, I think that's a high, you know, the old saying, when you used to go to these seminars and stuff, it's like, when you, when they did surveys, what are you targeting? You know, there's more people targeting catfish and every other species then we'll say I am fishing for muskies. You have your right. very limited number of people that are actually out there doing that. Most of the guys that do it are real serious about it. But it's right. not a big draw. You
2: know? Yeah, and it was just under it half. It was the, half. Yeah. Comparing to the bass. Just under I half. So I agree with you. I think that's, that's a huge number. I think it's a I think it's a success. So I like I said, I was disappointed at first, but, but the more I think about it like I think that's good. It I, I really had visions in my head of all these Avid musky anglers that love their sports love so much it. just going out yeah. there and buying these things like crazy. And everybody in my agency was going to be shocked to how well these things sold. You know, I had that build up in my head so much that I don't think there's any way I was going to live up to it. <laughs> so, upon yeah. further review, I am very happy with how it sold.
1: Yeah, I mean, if I remember correctly, I mean, it wasn't long ago I remember Jim Sarek, you know, giving a seminar, you know, 10, 12 years ago or something. I heard him talking. there's like, you know, he was talking about stuff like this, and the average angler. Throughout the country, when they survey these people, blah, 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 it's like, you know, 3% of the people are targeting muskies or something. Right. It was very low. Mm-hmm. And that's incredible if it was almost half. You did, we did get good support.
0: Right. <laughs> yep, I agree. Yeah. I bet you, um, you would blow all your coworkers away if you had that voluntary up, rounding up thing that I told you, huh? <laughs> <laughs> i <I'll> mention <laughs> it to Yeah. <though>, <laughs> I mean, I don't think that's being greedy saying, you know, would you like to round up the, you know, however much, but, um, you know, but none, nonetheless, I still think that's good stuff. And, you know, so when, when you get the heater and all that stuff, you're going to put up photos and. You oh know, yeah,
2: absolutely. We'll promote the heck out of it.
0: Okay, good. That's what we, uh, that's what we like to hear. But, um, Todd, is there anything else about this, this permit you want to go before we switch gears, you know, a little bit?
1: Yeah, I mean, I got a little bit of a gear I want to switch, but the permit—I mean, it sounds great. I mean, anybody—I'm gonna—we'll start mentioning it on our.
0: We can start pushing it on the show.
1: Our beginning segment, just like Muskie's Inc. Man, if you're into muskie fishing and you're fishing in PA, I mean, it's crazy not to throw thirty bucks at it. Geez, or twenty? No, it's, it's 20 like right twelve
0: now. bucks or something.
2: Yeah, it's ten dollars for the permit, and then it's really it'll be a dollar ninety for the for the issuing agent. Or if you buy it online, it's just ten bucks.
1: Okay, so it's 10. Yeah, that's right. Yep. I was thinking 30. Somebody, we said 30 at one point, but 10 bucks. Yeah. For yeah, you're thinking bucks, Muskie's Inc. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. But I do have a question real quick. Or yep. So, this is something I've been asked. Is the state of Pennsylvania still stocking on the regular program, the fall stocking, like we always did? like most of the states do, or, or is this all we're doing now, is holding these fish?
2: Well, that's complicated. Okay. But, um, <laughs> technically, we're only doing the yearling program. Okay. Because um, we, we set the number of yearlings based on the amount of money we were spending to raise the fall fingerlings. Mm-hmm. So to carry the fish an extra six months longer, how how hard do we have to drop the numbers so that we're even on money? You know what I mean? We're not changing yep. anything money-wise. So that's where we set that number at. Now, so that's the that's the answer. But technically, <laughs> we're yeah. going to be putting out fall fingerlings still because I need a relief valve. Um, so... Last year was a great example. So last year, we took the same amount of eggs we usually do. We had a really, really good feed conversion season, and we had really good survival for the first couple months of their lives. So we had a we had muskies coming out of our ears. So we stocked. Um, so by the time they're ready to go out to the outside race, race around the Fourth of July, the fish are you know two, three, four inches. We had a ton of extra fish, so we actually stocked eighty-four thousand of them. There were, you know, just a few inches, probably not very good survival rate, but mm-hmm. it's going to be something. we stocked them at really high rates, too. You know, we put like,
1: oh, where is it here? And you we did put, that with?
2: Well? Yeah, last year. We put 41,000 of them in Kinzu, you know. Okay. who knows? And those were it, those are small ones. Those were three, four inches.
1: Three, four inches, like the finger yep.
2: Yeah, so that gets us down to the number. When we move them out to the outside raceways, Mm -hmm. we want to be down to a certain density, you know, so the fish will feed real aggressively, like we've talked about before. So that's what the amount we have small fingerlings we had to get rid of to get down to that number. Mm -hmm. Um, And I still we still got enough out there that we didn't want to run into any problems. You know, through the summer you know if we keep them in really warm like water out there exactly, we keep them in really yeah. warm water so they're growing really really fast but warm, with warm water comes diseases that happen really fast so if they were to get a bacterial disease on their gills in that warm of water we're going to start losing fish really really fast so first of all we're really vigilant about it and if they do get something we have the antibiotic on hand to treat them but we don't want to cut ourselves too close either so we have a few yeah. extras so then when as it got to the end of the season these fish were nine or ten inches and winter was coming we had we went through an inventory our fish again we had extras again you know so then we're still going to have those those uh the fall yearlings to put out or fall fingerlings that the same fish we've been stocking for the last four or five years a really nice fish we do grade them and keep the bigger ones um so, instead of being a rock solid ten, like they used to be in the fall, these are you know eight, nines, and tens mm-hmm. um, but there was you know about the eight old days,
1: the, the, the old days in Pennsylvania that we just were, were we're dealing with the last whatever i don't know how many years ever you know the, the state has been you take moraine state park, let's talk about moraine because it's right here by my house, and I know the mm-hmm. number it's a thirty two hundred acre lake right. and for many years they would put 3,200 fingerlings in there in October, November. Fingerlings being probably six to eight inches, you know. Right. That that is pretty much gone in the state. Other than some extras.
2: Yep, other than the extras. but then we're going to use those extras, you know. I'm asking fisheries management to give us assignments so that I have those relief valves around the 4th of July to get rid of the small fingerlings and a relief valve before winter to get rid of the extra fingerlings. We don't want to take more through winter than we have to. Yeah. Um, so then we'll use those extra fish to target areas like like Connie Lake, you know, that are – waters where we know muskies can have really good success and for one reason or another the population's just dwindled and we know we can build that back up so we'll target lakes like those with the with the extras
1: there's extras yeah yep
0: so i want to make sure i'm getting this right uh you you get all the <clears throat> you get all the you, you spawn out all the fish you get you get all the little baby fries going and then yep. sometime midsummer you're like we need to cut weight is yep And then you, so you take maybe two thirds of them and you let them go. And then come fall, you take another audit and you're like, okay, we're still a little heavy. You take some of them, you release them. And then you, you know, the following year is when you release all the one yearlings. Exactly. Okay. So there, so there's technically out of one spawning session, you're going to stock maybe probably three times out of that brood. Correct
2: that 's different than we used to do it because we used to just raise as many as we possibly could and stock them in the fall, but now we're we 're committing to stocking a certain number of these really big fish, and failure's not an option. you know what i mean it, yeah. if we' once we cut the number down to stocking thirty four thousand of these guys and we 're stocking these lakes at you know point seven five fish per acre, we want to make sure we have that number so that's why we're each of those stages we're always going to have extras because if we tried to hit the number perfectly there's going to be years where, there's going to be years where it works but there's going to be years where we fail and we don't want that oh, to
1: happen sure. yeah i mean you're going to have different results i mean this is coming back to the naysayers too like the got people that want to talk about oh this is what they do you know you do this so the same thing was done for many years one fish per acre I, they were Pennsylvania was joining it in almost all the waterways. That number of one fish per acre is now going to go down a little bit. But if you're stocking a good quality fish, that's what the whole program right. is about, right?
2: Yeah, okay, absolutely. And we we dropped <laughs> all it to the 0.75 the fish approach? per acre. Um, and to do to to be able not to cut it more than that Is why we went to the alternate year stockings. So every all the muskie lakes are still getting stockings. They're just getting stocked every other year instead of every year. Mm-hmm. Which probably works better anyhow, because the, the the adjoining year classes probably really compete with each other. So you get you let that that muskie get the two extra years jump on them, and they're going to move out of the weed beds, you know, move out a little deeper. Where and then we can come back in and stock the yearlings, and they're going to be in the in the thick grass with the bass and stuff.
0: Yeah, you you can change the level of the prey base by exactly. by skipping those yep. years, so they're not
2: competing with each other.
0: Okay. Um, you know, kind of along the, the same lines, um, the, you know, like we were talking about, you know, we, in fact, I'm just going to kind of wrap this up a little bit different on this. So up until like four years ago, it was shotgun effect. Get as many of these fish as you can. And let's just, just pummel all the water and hopes a few can make it through. Right. And then they switched something about four years ago in trying to make the fish bigger and healthier. Right. How did, how did they do that? What was the switch between as many as we can to let's go quality?
2: Well, the the quality thing was always the goal. We just didn't know how to do it. Um, we didn't have the space. So, and it was really hard. You know, it was probably only 10, 11 years ago that we really got good at converting these onto dry food. So we spent the first, you know, Few, three, four years after that, just being happy that we were stocking 100,000 of them a year. That, you know, if there were six, seven, eight inches, we were happy with that. Then we started getting cocky and saying, okay, fisheries management, our biologists have been asking us to get a 10 inch fish by the by fall. That's what they wanted us to stock was a 10 inch fish. We never really paid attention to it because we thought that was a pipe dream. What do you want us to do? You know, we can't, we're just figuring out how to raise these guys. We had, we're, we're really happy with our seven and eight inch fish. How do you want us to get them to 10 inches? So once we got good at raising them and then we started saying, okay, now what do we have to do to get them bigger? Um, And it became clear to us that it was a density issue. It was a feed opportunity issue. So when we had them, we had had all these in our hatch house and they're crammed up all year. We have, you know, 22 tanks, it just as many fish in there as you could cram in there, and we're dropping feed in through our little, um, what do we call them, a moto feeder. You know, they're a round circular feeder that's just got a hole drilled in the bottom, and it's got a paddle that goes around. When the paddle goes around, some feed falls through the hole. Well, it's only feeding one little spot of that tank. And when the whole tank is just jammed with fish, they're just not getting the feeding opportunities. You know, it's, we, we would watch them and we'd theorize about whether the fish is sitting right under the feeder or the ones that are hungry at that time. And then they move out to the edges and more fish move in. Or are those the most aggressive ones and they stay there all the time? We had conversations all the time about stuff yeah. like that. But, yeah. you know, in our our mantra was how do we get each fish in that tank to eat two more pellets today? What are the options? So those are the things we would talk about trying to get to that 10 inch fish. And eventually it hit us that we just needed more room. It wasn't going to happen until we let the fish spread out. So we looked, that's when we looked outside, we saw some old dilapidated raceways. We did some concrete work. We put up some bird netting and we moved the muskies outside halfway through the summer and voila, they made it to 10 inches by fall. Um, We were super excited about that. So then you know, we did that again for three or four years. That was probably, let me think, 12. So that's probably the fall of 13 was the first time we hit the 10 inches by fall. So then 13, 14, 15, and 16, we, we were raising pretty, pretty good fish. So that's why, you know, by the time we stocked those in 14, 15, 16, 17, by the time they're 2018 17, 18 is when they started showing up as you know those small 30 30 to 34 inch fish from that initial 10 inch fall stocking um we started hearing great things right away and now some of the latest you know now we're starting you know four years ago from 2020 to 2016 you know so now we're progressing through those years of those 10 inch fall fingerlings and we keep hearing great things um from all these different water bodies and it's really exciting our fisheries biologists are finding them in their trap netting surveys the anglers are catching they're just, we're hearing guys out fishing for crappies catching can't keep the muskies off their hooks it's it's musky happy days all around and we haven't even got to the yearling fish fit you know what i mean so when we started hearing all these good things about the 10-inch fish that's what got us thinking saying Because at the same time, my biologists were doing a pit tagging study trying to determine if it's better to stock fish in the fall or the spring. Same size fish, you know, no size difference, just springtime versus fall time, what works better? And they, it came up four to one better in the spring, which makes sense because everything's spawning, there's a lot more forage in the spring. So then we decided, oh, okay, so we got these bigger fish in the fall, they're working really good, but springtime works better, how do we mesh these two things? And somebody suggested, well, If 10-inch fish work, 14-inch fish must be better. Plus, if the timing's better, let's do it. So that was the beginning of the yearling program.
0: And that yearling program has been going for how many years?
2: So the first stocking from it, you know, we started raising them in 17. So 17, there was not a true fall stocking, fingerling stocking for the first time. We held the 17 fish over. The winter and the first yearling stocking was in 2018.
1: Didn't they do a few? Like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we did like
2: it was pretty much like, the same and, thing as Don Tony now, though. You know, it was, it was yeah. those extras. Mm-hmm. And we made sure we had plenty of extras, though. We didn't stock the small fingerlings earlier yeah, in the year. We held them to the fall. Yeah. Just kind of, we wanted to buffer the, the blow a little yeah. bit. We didn't want to tell people, okay, there's nothing going out this fall. We're waiting a whole year. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, we had like half of the amount of false fingerlings that we usually do, and we stocked half the waters just to get something out there. So we stocked the half of the waters that wouldn't be getting the yearlings our first year.
0: Yep. Okay. And um, so now we're going. Now we're entering twenty. So this spring, the bodies of water that in 2018 got yearlings are now going to be getting their second second right. year class. I want to say. Uh, of fish. Exactly that- true. Yep. So those fish that were put in in 18, let's just say it was on Lake X ballpark. How big do you think those fish are when you're going to be stocking these, these fish this year in 20? Okay. So
2: 14, 24. So if I yeah, we stocked them in 18 at 14 inches at the end of 19, they'd have been 24 to 26. They double in size? Yes. Wow. The first year they do, or in the year two. Okay. Two-year-olds are always 24 to 26 inches.
0: So you're going to be flirting with like a 28, 32-inch fish.
2: Yep. Yeah, they're usually 30 to 34. Okay. Right in there. So that's roughly
0: like a three-year-old fish is is right around averaging about 10 inches a year if you just want to divide it out. Correct.
2: And then the four-year-olds really slow down. You know, they're usually in that 34 to 35, 33, you know, they only grow a couple more inches there, and that's when they really start slowing down. It gets hard to tell the five and six year olds apart. I, I wouldn't even, I'm just guessing if I try to tell you, I can look at them and tell a five or six year old fish, there's no way. It, it's difficult with the scale samples, depending on the water body. You know, a water body where they're growing really, really fast, there's distance between the rings on their scales. You can tell it better, but in most water bodies, they grow, they slow down so much that between five, six, seven, eight, it's really difficult to tell the age.
0: That's that's interesting to to see. They now do. I mean, do you guys age these fish at all? Like, like you, you pull them in, and you're gonna you're gonna do some of the spawning ritual stuff that you have. Do you try to age them some? more? do you pull a scale and and try to do something? to
2: yeah, yeah, a little bit just because we want to understand it more, you know. And our our fisheries biologists, you know, we have a couple fisheries biologists work right out of the lines of the hatchery. Um so I get to talk to them all the time, and they do that extensively. Every muskie they catch gets scale samples pulled off, and they they age them. So um, they're really really good at it, and I get to pick their brain a lot just because I work so closely with them.
0: Do, do you feel you know? that a lot of these muskies are going to hit that brick wall somewhere around 36, 38, 40, maybe 42. They just, I I was pulling up and, and we're already like an hour and seven into it. I'm not going to get to the notes that I did, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was looking at some of the, uh, some of the, the, the data. And I want to think that it was in Canadota Lake. You guys have mm-hmm. a really nice spreadsheet from the 2018 biologist report and it right. it had the pit tag readings on a lot of these fish. Do right. you, you know, is there like a, a lot of the females, a lot of the longer fish are females. Like most of them that are over 40, 42s tend to be, at least on that, and from what I've seen in other documents, tend to be the females. I mean, mm-hmm. do those males just kind of like peter out around that 40-inch range, typically, They're like no matter how old they get? um, 40 to
2: 44 is pretty pretty average for the old males you know i i don't know if we've ever seen a male over 46 okay so which is a you know there's a a big difference there on an old fish they get they put some weight on um but the males are definitely more sleek they're more slender um and they definitely do not get as big and they definitely slow down first um, that being said, it, you know, what you're asking about is as far as hitting a wall, it, it really depends on the water bodies. Every single water body is way different and it depends what the muskies are keying on food wise and how available it is. Um in most of these especially in northwest Pennsylvania, we have so many lakes with gizzard chad and they have good white sucker populations and carp populations that there shouldn't be any muskies out there that are hurting for food, you know. None of the, yeah. no predator populations that are stunting the muskies, like Howard Eaton um, reservoir pike. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's the that's the fear. If if you give your population too high, that's what can happen. But I mean, I don't think we're anywhere near that. We're not anywhere near that. So, no. um, but that being said, I mean, some water bodies are more fertile than others, and some. Um, the fish are going to grow at different rates, you know, the, for some reason the fish in Edinburgh seem to be growing a little slower. Um, there was just a ton of, you know, those 34 to 35, 36 inch fish and they seem to be a couple different year classes in that same size range, which is strange.
0: It's also there's tons 200, of stunted,
2: it's <laughs> true, it has a smaller water body, there's a ton of panfish in there, and they're all stunted, you know, stunted little perch and bluegills, so they, they're they not hungry, but their food source might be a little small, you know, they might not be able to key on, there's not a huge carp population in there, I'm not sure about the sucker population, you know, but I know there's a gigantic population of small, tiny little panfish. And if that's what they're keying on, they just, maybe they just grow to that, like putting a fish in a smaller aquarium versus a bigger aquarium. They're just, they're growing to the the prey size instead of just putting on weight. Um, Yeah. And the same thing happens with the colors. You know, we're stocking these same exact fish from the same exact hatchery. And you go catch a big, giant fish out of Canada, and it's dark green like an alligator. You go down a pimatinie and catch the same exact strain of fish, and it's striped like a striped and spotted like a Great Lakes fish. It's yeah. really strange how they color up different based on
1: what water body they're
2: in. Hmm.
1: Yeah. The chameleon. Yeah. They yeah. Do it throughout the season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. Something. Yeah. I mean. I, I wanna hit on at least one more thing on my little thing of notes here. I'll save this for a later date when we have you back on again.
1: We have to get you back on like next week or something. You know?
0: <laughs> <Pardon me>. Yeah. This is fun. It's well a couple couple more things I'm gonna hit. So one of them was in 2019 I looked at a biologist report from Connie at Lake. Um yep. first off, I, I'm gonna say what a biologist report is. I don't know if every state does it. It seems as you know, I I'm gonna take it from an outsider perspective. Uh you have you set out trap nets and you just take a survey of what swims in them and you base it off of how many hours the traps were in there and you just take a census of what fish you caught and you kind right. of did make, you know, population determine, you know, determinations on, uh, what you catch in that time. Right. Um, I think Todd has like, Todd has said this best. You guys are still fishing. So what you catch might not really be, exactly accurate to what's representing in the population of those fish. And I, right. I saw some of that in looking at all the rep- biologist reports from Mm-hmm. You have a 2014, 16, 17, 18, and 19. And I pulled all the muskie numbers. Yep, Your lowest was 37 muskies caught and your highest was 191 three years later right <laughs> someone someone could make yeah. the call and say that it's gone five times the population in those three years
2: yeah, you know, and I'm not sure that wasn't true you know what i What I question is what happened the year after that because it went back down
0: it went to eighty nine which was the second right. highest still
2: yeah it's still pretty good it's just not what i was shooting for
0: right <laughs> yeah. yeah
2: you gotta put your you nets get, on the other side of the theme here that i keep shooting for the stars here but you know that time tuning's well, musky population was way down you know and we were hearing complaints back when we were stalking six seven inch fish we were hearing complaints from the Muskie clubs and um the pfpc was getting letters from musky clubs saying you know we're not we're not happy with your guys' plan. Can we talk about changing the plan? Because we want to catch muskies. You know, and then we, we started getting, and the thing that happened with tuning was when we, the first two years that we started hitting that 10-inch average fall fingerling was the same exact year that the fisheries management gave into the muskies, Inc. guys and said, all right, we're going to stock tuning at two fish per acre. No, we actually went to one fish per acre, because tuning was always half a fish per acre. And that was Muskie Yanks in Chapter 16, or, you know, the Three Rivers guys came and said, every other lake in the state's getting one fish per acre. Every other brood lake's getting two fish per acre. Why is tuning only getting half a fish? So they met him in the middle and said, okay, we'll stock one fish per acre, which took it from, you know, the 12,000 fish it was getting all the way up to 16,000 fish and that happened right at the same time that we hit the 10-inch average. So it got 16,000 big, giant fall fingerlings two years in a row, and that's what shot that number
0: up. Okay. It's it's interesting when you look at those numbers.
2: Those numbers are, to your point, those numbers, you do have to take them with a grain of salt. They're great numbers. They're great studies. Now, the biologists are worked incredibly thin. So, you know, there's two guys that work out of the Lionsville Hatchery. They cover everything from the Lake Erie tributaries. They don't do Lake Erie. There's an the old Lake Erie research center that does that. But from the Lake Erie tributaries all the way down through Mercer County and all the way west over to um, over almost over to Tynastish, you know what I mean? Like they cover a ton of waters in right. every, every biologist area is like that. So they when they make their schedules, they make them based – they got to schedule these things way in advance because they're shorthanded and they have to work together. So they have to schedule a guy to come over from the tie nest office, come over and chop net with them, you know, so they have to coordinate their schedules. They have to set this stuff in advance. So they'll say, okay, the first week of April, um, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we're going to set nets for muskies. Can you come over and help? Historically, that's the best week. That's when the temperatures are perfect. Well, then you get a year where it snows that week, your muskie numbers are going to be down, you know, and they know that, um, so they're looking at long-term averages. You know, these guys, they have graphs on their walls that have the last 35 years of populations and how it goes up and down and up and down. And that's the kind of thing they're watching. So the one bad do. year doesn't change their, their graph that much. But when you're looking at it the way you're looking at it, one bad year, it catches your eye.
1: It, yeah, it, it catches your eye. But, I mean, I can look at it objectively and look and think, these guys are fishing. You're fishing right. for them. I talked to the guys at yeah. and they're like, I can go down there right off the dock at Prendergrass, and we can set that net at the same week, every year. And he's like, I can put it out there, and we'll pull that net, because we're they're just trying to get, like, a little sample of fish to put into the, uh, you know, it, it's something that they're not, it, it, you know, that's a net they put out that they're not even trying to uh, take a musky sample. They're trying to put some stuff in their tank that they have on their Their aquarium. Play right. Yeah, aquarium. <laughs> And he's like, I can put that thing out there, and we'll go down there and we'll set it, and we want to get some odd fish. He said, one year I'll put it out, and he said, I'll get everything. I'll get a gar, I'll get a couple bass, I'll get a couple smallmouth crappie, I can fill up my tank. He said, and then the next year I'll go down there and I'll set it. At the same time, and he's like, there's like, you know, 25 male muskies and three females in there, and there's no, I can't even get another fish. We let them (laughs) out, and then we put the net back out. And we do it again, and sometimes it happens again. The next time we pull it, it's all muskies, or they're mostly muskies, you know. Right, right. Like, but we're doing it at the same time, so that's when I, that's how I just got to thinking. I mean, numbers. You've you got to look at the long. You got to yes. look at long term, and I do that in fishing. Like every year, when people call me about trips, what about now? What about now? But I have people calling me now. They're seeing these pictures of people tried to call me to do a charter like yesterday, and I was like, I, my boat <laughs> is away. You know right. I mean, usually there's ice, usually we're ice fishing. I'm not taking out a charter right now, right. I mean, you could you could right now, <laughs> most places, but that's not the norm, you know so
0: right yeah and, and my but, whole my whole point of that was to essentially highlight Todd's you know simplicity of if someone goes to look at these biologist reports and they and and they do like what I do and you know pull up the historical stuff you do need to understand that they are putting nets out in what they feel is high yield places, but it might not weather affects everything. And, you know, you just, I mean, there could be a low population of fish, but if you put it in there correctly, like dead nuts, perfect, you could be like, man, this is above average. You could have fifty fifty 50 times like normal capacity of fish. And if you just time it, you know, if the timing is wrong, not um, you makes it sound like I'm putting blame. If the timing is off, you mean like, man, there's like no fish in here.
2: So yeah. that, that's I just yeah. wanted to highlight
0: that is yeah.
2: So there's a little bit of human error involved, but you kind of you gotta trust the biologists that they're gonna try to put the nets in at the best time every year to get the best relatable numbers. You know, they're always thinking about their their careers is based on making things comparable. You know what I mean? So when they're they the when yep when they're doing electroshocking surveys for young of the walleye, you know, there a lot of thought goes into whether, you know, they consider, okay, well, I think we should move this one because there's some logs and stuff in the way that didn't used to be there, but they don't take that lightly. If they, if we move this thing, we're changing a whole aspect of being able to compare to the numbers we've always done, so let's make sure we're doing it for the right reasons, let's make sure we're making it comparable, let's make sure we're doing the right, changing it to some place that's the same type of habitat, same water depths, so we're not throwing things off. You know, they think about it like that, so... You know, their numbers are never going to be perfect; they're going to go up and down. you got to look at the long term averages and just um just know that they're doing their best to try to make them comparable from year to
0: year perfect uh, and And one other little thing that I want to hit on here is the two thousand nineteen Connie at Lake biologist report. It was the musky one, and all of this stuff mm-hmm. is available for anyone who wants to look at it. it's on the Pennsylvania Fish and Boat Commission website. Uh, you just got to click through some tabs or do a search for biologist reports and you can find the different regions and you can just see it. It's all public information. They had a, they, they big fish that they got out of Connie Lake. They took a photo of it and stuff like that of one of the, uh, employees holding it. It was a 41 inch. I imagine it was a female. It was almost 41. It was 40.8 and it weighed like 28.9 pounds. Right. Oh my God. So you could pretty much say it's a 41 inch, 30 pounder. I mean, if you're going to, if you're using round numbers. <laughs> that's, right. that's crazy. And, that's and, and I want to kind of bring this back. Todd, you remember that year? Gosh, this might've been 2015 ish. Uh-huh. Um, Vance and I went down to Conneaut Lake and we fished. Yeah. And then you and I went like the following weekend now, Vance and I saw some some tankers in the shallows tankers. yeah, and then yep. you and I went, and we didn't find lengthwise but do you remember that one fish by that flagpole oh yeah, it was it was like my thigh, it wasn't long, it was probably three foot yeah. forty inches. it was just yeah. like <laughs> some the tank yeah, yeah, it was built very sturdily,
1: it and, was as wide as a four footer
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it yeah. and it's it's that lake to me is something special, but it you know, when mm-hmm. I had time to fish it, it was in the in the very lowest of lows in density. Right. I mean, it was very difficult. So uh that biologist report, you know, it showed, you know, signs of hope and it's really neat. I, I talked to Jared earlier today, uh setting all this up for tonight, just the catch rate, how that lake was on the verge of getting the axe not right. to get yeah, stocked an anymore.
1: Nice I thought it was going to, yeah, <laughs> from what I was
2: Yeah, concerned. we actually designated it a, a last-chance water. And when they when they did that 2019 survey that you're talking about, we were nervous while those nets were out there. Um, the, the temperature seemed good. Everything seemed good. So we were hopeful. But if we would have caught, you know, four fish, it would have come off the list. Yeah, you ended um, up
0: getting 14 fish. Yeah, that, that looks really good. That ranged 28 to 41 inches with that you know, almost 41 inch, uh, I'm going to call it 41, the 41 inch fish. That was a big fatty. And so that 28 inch fish, that was a fish that was hatched in 2017. If that's right. roughly yep, um, roughly, yep. I mean, that's, that's interesting. So that's, that's kind of like a success story here. That's not really a story that's not being told is some of these fisheries are literally like this one, like it, I wish I could just erase all the development and all the ski boats off that lake.
2: <laughs> I know. Wouldn't that be nice? Oh, it's but
0: a beautiful lake.
2: I think the key on lakes like that is to go at night. You know, I think it's a nighttime fishery. So Same thing with Edinburgh Lake. Drunk- <laughs> 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 any, of those, any of those lakes that have unlimited horsepowers, you know, I think they just come alive at night. I remember being out in Edinburgh as a kid, you know, fishing for, sandfish and stuff and when the sun would go down your fish finder would just completely go red. Everything just came to life. Hmm. <clears throat> yeah.
1: They're in there. And I'll tell you, I mean, honestly, out of all the you know, it's a natural lake. Pennsylvania's biggest. Right. Uh, we don't have many. But uh I mean I've been all over the country fishing for and and Canada fishing and I mean to find a more beautiful lake, like I don't know how milfoil has taken over a little bit but you still have those areas incredible cabbage growth it's it's the prettiest lake to cast that i've, <laughs> that I've ever been to to cast nice. i mean that's it is.
2: exciting that you guys are seeing those the fish in that lake having something special that makes them get fat too you know it's not yeah. a coincidence the state record came out of there you the know record, so.
1: and there's tankers i've always i grew up fishing there a lot and we always i never i never caught one of them gigantic ones in there but Man, we we saw them the same as Vance and Andy saw them when they were doing that with the spawn. Like looking down there is like there's a freaking telephone pole laying down there, <laughs> and it was a real fish, you know. Wow. But I think that com I think some of that comes back to being a natural fishery. I think. Yeah. You know, stronger survive. That's what happens. Might not have the may 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 never have the greatest numbers in a place like that, uh, with all the pike and everything else that's going on, but. The fish are nice in there, you know, and and it's sort of a normal, uh, sort of like the average. From what I see when I get to fish there in the early season, like I do see the beat up spawned females that are like beat.
0: Yeah, they you look know? like they have leprosy.
1: Bite marks right. and like we saw one last year on a charter. It hit a guy's bait and it was falling around his figure eight, and he was like, "What was wrong with that fish?" I was like, "Nothing." you know i see that when i go to canada i see that natural fisheries i see them like that that just some of them look like they're beat they just went through hell through the spawn and uh beat up old fish but you can yep. also see the tankers in there
2: <laughs> that's exciting yeah i talked to a guy i think i think it might have mentioned this last time because it's been about a year now it was early last summer he was uh he was fly fishing in there for panfish and he caught like seven of those 28 inch muskies oh wow in yeah. one evening so <laughs> they're in there they're coming i can't wait to see what you know three four years from now what we're talking about but i hope yeah. i think it's going to be exciting
0: yeah i think it is too and i just you know i want to at least highlight that that success there that being you know on the chopping block and now it's coming back strong and you know things are looking good and not only they're coming back strong but you know these are big healthy fish so right. that, that that's that's a win that that is not being the story's not being told that much. So it's only right. going to get better. I hope
1: yeah. sounds could, great.
0: But okay, Jared, is there anything you want to wrap this up with? Oh. Bye. You know what? I've, got, I've got
2: nothing. I'm dumbfounded. I just enjoy being on. I love talking muskies. Um, hope you guys have a good time at Muskie Max, and. Keep, keep calling me. Keep me updated on what's working, what's not working, and we're going to be doing this for a really long time. So let's just keep the relationship going.
0: That's excellent. And buy your voluntary musky permit. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. And then, and then, uh, you know, send an email to the Fish Commission to have a donate button too. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Round it up. <laughs> That's right. Round them up. So, all right, Todd. Is there anything you want to ask before we get this, you know, wrapped up? No, man.
1: Up? Okay. Always great. Uh jeez, I don't know what to say. Like you said, we we could do this every, at least monthly, but we we won't do that. But uh, we got to do it more often. Yep. We have lots I'm of ready whenever, talk, but. Yep.
0: Yeah. Perfect. All right, big thanks to Muddy Creek Fishing Guides, Fat AZ Musky Products, Baker Baits, Vicks Marine, Ranger Boats, St. Croix Rods, Muskie's Inc., and the Muskie Max Plus which is next week guys i'm going to keep pushing it follow us on social media we'll be dropping some i don't know i think that they're going to be you know that they're going to be meant for jokes and, and fun and hilarity like we did last year with some of the show colors that we're doing but follow us there you can see see our progression we're going to be doing that here in the next day or so um so other than that everyone uh good luck fishing hope to see you at the shows and thanks for listening